could a company that was in bankruptcy court just two and a half years ago be buying other concepts? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, executive editor with Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, I talk with Nishant Machado, the CEO of Macaroni Grill, who explains his company's penchant for making acquisitions. Two years ago, when I heard that Mac Grill was an unsuccessful bidder for Bravo Brio Restaurant Group, less than a year after it had just emerged from bankruptcy, you could have knocked me over with a feather. But the company soon bought Sullivan's and is on the prowl for another concept, having turned both of them around. Nishant talks about why this worked. He discusses his plan for revitalizing struggling brands and why that's relevant in today's market. There are a lot of companies that are looking to do the exact same thing that Mac Grill is doing. Buy struggling chains cheap, merge them with existing concepts, and then turn them around. So Nishant has a lot to say on the topic. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Nishant Machado. Nishant, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. All right, so uh, tell me a little bit. You had a, an active couple of years uh, with uh, Macaroni Grill, and then you bought Sullivan's. How are things going? Things are going great. So 2019, we bought Sullivan's in Q4 of 2018. Um, used Q4 and Q1 to bolt Sullivan's onto our systems and our platform, which is what we spent you know, most of 2018 building out. Um, 2019 was a record year for Sullivan's. Uh, we outperformed the industry by about 300 basis points in sales in the fine dining segment, um, you know, reversed all the tr negative trends over the prior years and prior leadership. Um, and I think it's poised very well going into 2020 for continued growth. And then completely implemented all our systems. We implemented 11 different systems across the Sullivan's platform, uh, Sullivan's concept, I should say, and um, which has given us complete line of sight into the business, which has resulted in improved margins across the P&L. So we've seen improvements from a labor standpoint, just being more efficient with labor, um, using activity-based forecasting with hot schedules, um, being able to drive um, improvement from a COGS standpoint. Uh, reducing actual versus theoretical, again, systems-driven, and then leveraging our scale from an OPEX perspective to drive down um, costs on the Sullivan side and on the Mackerel side. Mm -hmm. what, was the, what was the problem before? Um... You know, I don't know if it was as much of a problem as, as opposed to focus. I think um, the it used to be a Del Frisco's company. I think they did a lot of very good things for Sullivan's to position it for to be successful. Um, we took a lot of what they had done with respect to the brand positioning and the brand message, um, and the brand identity, and layered additional initiatives onto that to bring them to life. For instance, you know, one of the brand positioning for Sullivan's when we inherited it was it's your neighborhood steakhouse. Mm -hmm. um, we took that, we truly and completely believe in that positioning. It was all about how do we enhance that? How do we bring that alive? How do we make that better? And we did things like personalized wine lockers. So if you're a regular, you come in, you have your own wine locker. Personalized tables where you have a brass plate with your name on it, if that's your table every time you come in. So we tried to take our regular guests, our guests that believe that this is their neighborhood steakhouse and personalize it for them, which is really just building on what you know, Del Frisco's had originally put in. So how do the how do the wine lockers work? I don't think I've heard that before. So the wine lockers, it's a annual fee for the wine locker. 
And then is obviously, you know, preferred pricing on the wine that guests buy. They store it in their locker. They have their own wine book. They come in or forget one of their friends come in. They can give them access to the wine locker. And, you know, it gives you the personalization that I think represents what our brand message is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do the, and then the, the nameplates, that's pretty interesting. So how does that work? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, again, one more way to make our guests feel, to, to remove the decision-making from a guest perspective. I think when you're a guest and you're deciding where to go to dinner, um, you always have options. Our objective was how do we eliminate the decision-making process and make it obvious for them to come to us. And in my head, if I have my name on a table and I have my wine locker with my name on it, you know, it, it almost removes any thought process. Like, that's where I'm going. That's mm-hmm. my restaurant, if you will. So the way the nameplates work, you know, and we leave, we leave it up to our the general managers because they know their guests incredibly well um, to essentially gift them the nameplate that goes, it's affixed to the table. So you have it, it'll be, you know, Jonathan May's table. Um, and you as a guest, you can come in, you always have the right to use that table. Hmm. Wow, so, interesting. Yeah, wow. it's just something different. Wow. Yeah, you must really go to a restaurant a lot to have a to have a your own nameplate on the table. Well, yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. <laughs> I love it. Those, those are my favorite guests. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So, um, uh, so it's interesting. I, you know, looking sort of looking back, and I might have even told you this before. I mean, you guys buying Sullivan's was really one of the more surprising deals that I've seen in a in a while, simply because Macaroni Grill had a difficult history. Sure. Tell me why that worked and why that was a why Mac Grill was able to turn around so quickly from being you know in, in bankruptcy to being in, in an acquisition vehicle. Vehicle. Sure. Um, so it really stems back to what the strategy and plan was. As you know, I'm the senior managing director at Mackinac Partners. I was brought in to turn around Sullivan Steak uh, Macaroni Grill. Through that process, coming in, we had. You know, I wanted to make sure we set the strategy up front. Um, so talked to the board. There were a couple of different uh, paths we could go down. And one of them that I presented was, do we use Macaroni Grill as a platform? Do we stabilize the business, but then build a platform that we can then use to go to acquisitions? I think I've told you this before. Um, I've said it plenty of times. A platform, I define a platform as people, systems, and process. So how do I build the right team? How do I put in the right systems? and have the right SOPs and structure and controls in place to be able to replicate a turnaround with other brands. Um, That strategy back in late 2017 was approved. And from that point on, that has been our focus. It's been, one, stabilize macaroni growth, because you're right, it's had a tumultuous past. I mean, it's well-documented. Our goal was put all of that rhetoric and all that noise aside, what are the core attributes of Macaroni Grill? How do we enhance those? How do we leverage those to turn that brand around? We had a record 2018, again, significantly surpassed the industry in positive sales, same with 2019. So now, once we've done that and we've gotten that in a stable state and growing from a same source sales perspective, how do we build a platform that allows us to go do acquisitions? So we implemented numerous different systems. I think technology is a huge part of this industry, and the more we can leverage that, the better and more effective we'll be. Um, built out the team, and then we were poised and ready to do the acquisition of Sullivan's in Q4. 
which was, you know, it was fast. I mean, from the time I took over to turning that macaroni roll around, getting the, you know, margins back to where they should be, same store sales growth, implementing numerous new revenue streams to the business, to being able to do the acquisition of Sullivan's, that was about a, you know, 12-month period. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the big question is, is Sullivan's going to be successful because you, you know, you, you have now two brands and um, there's work to turn around Sullivan's. You fast forward to where we are in 2019. It's absolute, it's, it's been an incredible success, um, both margin and sales perspective and building out the team. But none of that could have been accomplished without the platform that we spent, you know, most of 17 and 18 putting together. Mm -hmm. So now we have an infrastructure that allows us to replicate, you know, these turnaround stories with brands that we truly believe in. Mm -hmm. But you had, uh, I mean, you've, you've been, you were experienced at turning things around. You've uh, done this before. So you sort of had sort of, I mean, kind of a game plan, if you will, going into it. I mean, you knew what you were doing. Um, obviously, I mean, that was a very, very fast turnaround at, at Mac. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I spent 15 years with Mackinac. The firm's got, you know, incredible experience turning around businesses um, in various different industries. And I think being able to have, you know, gone through those experiences with different industries, and whether it be retail or consumer products or manufacturing, the skill set that you develop is very well-rounded and it makes you think differently and think more creatively when you come into situations. And then based on, you know, the experience I've had with numerous different restaurant turnarounds, you're absolutely right. I mean, you have a toolkit. You have a blueprint of how that should work. But I will tell you, having a blueprint and having a plan is one thing. Be able to execute on that plan mm -hmm. is something altogether different. Um, us having the right team, both from an RSC perspective and from a field perspective, is what really helped us implement the turnaround plan with Mac Grill, but then, if, you know, in, in record time, do an acquisition and turn that one around. That's a testament to the team. I mean, a, a plan, you know, I've said this all the time, a great plan um, with poor execution will fail and a poor plan with great execution will fail. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a great plan and we had great execution because we had the right infrastructure and platform in place. Mm -hmm. Now, does the same playbook work for different types of restaurants, or do you have to sort of target a specific type of concept? You know, it's a good question. Um, it works. The, the, the baseline of the plan never really changes. Um, the approach never really changes. Some of the tactics will change based on the situation. Mm -hmm. But the foundation of you know, what we call our strategic value creation plan or our turnaround plan, the foundation never changes. It's the tactics that you might adjust based on the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why did you think going into this that you thought Mac Grill would be better off as an acquisition, you know, as a, as a platform and an acquisition vehicle as, as opposed to just sort of a, you know, a quick flips, you know, turnaround concept? Yeah, no, look, again, good question. And I've, you know, with all the other concepts I've been with, it's been more of a in and out, right? Okay. Turnaround guy, my job is to turn something around and then move on to the next um, turnaround. Um, with, the difference with macro was really the foundation of macro. When I looked at that concept vis-a-vis -vis other concepts that I've been with, there was something that stuck out as being very different. A macro guest comes to Mac Grill because there's an emotional connection mm -hmm. with that brand. 
Now, I think the brand has disappointed the guests over the years in many different ways, but despite that, you know, there's still a very strong following. Sure. So when I looked at that, I was like, look, that's something I can tap into. If it's purely logic, and you know this, if it's purely logical and people come there because of price point and value, you know, call it whatever you want, it's a rat race, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're just, you're, it's, it's staying power and you're, you're just competing with everybody else on the same, on the same uh, playing field. With Mac Grill, it wasn't as much about that, and it was more about guests that come to us for special occasions, birthdays, proms, weddings, you know, pre-wedding celebrations, you name it, anniversaries, you name it, those special events, they celebrated at a Mac Grill. Mm -hmm. We had disappointed them by not living up to that expectation. It's something I believe that we could bring back. Um, I think there were a lot of missteps in the past that we corrected. Um, and those missteps took away from what the brand originally promised guests, the original brand promise, if you will. Um, so when I saw that, plus some of the low-hanging fruit with respect to new revenue streams that we could implement that weren't in place, that I can talk about in, in more detail, um, some of the you know, margin improvement we could implement that had kind of been overlooked for years. I saw all that low-hanging fruit and a path to be able to drive additional traffic by you know, leveraging what the brand had delivered on for maybe 20 out of the 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, that's what got me excited. And that's why I was like, look, this is something I truly believe we can turn around. And then the platform idea, or not idea, but strategy was really born out of being able to see the team that I inherited when I got in there, because it was mm -hmm. a very new team, because it had just been acquired. It was a very new team, a team that was focused on and believed and wanted to be part of a turnaround which is you know, unlike most situations I get into where the team's usually walking out the door. Um, so this is a team that was committed, a team that wanted to be a part of a turnaround, believed in the, you know, the bolt-on roll-up strategy. So I felt good about the team. We've made some changes and, and improved the team since then. But for the most part, the team was very good. We were in the midst of implementing all these systems, which could be the framework of the foundation. Because look, a lot of, a lot of you know characteristics that would make for a very good platform that we can build on, and it's it's you know thankfully so far it's worked out well, mm -hmm. um, and our goal is to continue to build on it. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, yeah, I think it's easy to forget that it wasn't that long ago that Mac Grill was you know a a very well loved concept. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know and um, and and it just just. I mean, it just had a, a really, really brutal decade before you guys took over. Yeah, absolutely. And our, our focus has been, how do we, you know, bring back to life? How do we revive? How do we reignite what made this brand so special for 20 years? Mm -hmm. You know, 20, 25 yeah. years, pick the number. But you've built, for that, for decades, you have built a belief about the brand. And then you've let them down. It's very, you know, you gain a lot of support when you go back and your message is, we're bringing back what made us successful. Mm -hmm. We've, we understand it. We're a new team. We know what built this brand, and we're going back to that. And then when you deliver on it, when, you, when the guest actually goes into the restaurant, that's when you win all day long. And that's mm -hmm. when you win that repeat traffic, and that's when you start gaining market share that you had, you know, lost for the last five to ten years. Yeah. So um, you talked about uh, new revenue streams. Um, well, you mentioned it. Uh, now talk about it. All right. So not, not too different from everyone else, right? Um, again, it comes down to leveraging technology and leveraging what 
is a competitive advantage of your brand and your and your product. So we've rolled out um, obviously online ordering. We use Olo as our platform, which has been you know I, I think they're great at um, continuously evolving, um, and we evolve and adjust with them. Uh, they're a great partner. So the online delivering plat delivery platform uh, online platform has been great. The delivery platform with third-party delivery obviously has been enormous. And, you know, there's a lot of pushback, and, you know, rightly so, in the industry with third-party commissions. They're, you know, egregious. Um, but I think you have to be strategic in how you use it, and we balance that with our marketing budget because I think with third-party you do get high awareness, um, mm -hmm. and you, and it is, you know, a defined revenue stream. So online ordering, delivery, and then we've invested a lot of time and money in catering and special events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seen, your, we, we implemented delivery and catering and special events in 20, late 2017. We grew significantly, like, you know, 30 plus percent um, in catering and special events in um, 2019, and that was over about an 80% growth in oh. 2018. Um, and, you know, we've seen the same, similar trajectory with third party. And again, that comes back to what you said. The brand has been around for so long. People really like the brand. Mm -hmm. It kind of fell off the planet where, you know, it went, took its different twists and turns. We've brought it back into you know, the, the decision set for guests. Um, and we're seeing the numbers, you know, grow tremendously because people genuinely like the food. It's mm -hmm. good food. You know, it's not cheap food. Um, you know, our price point is not, is not you know, um, insignificant. Um, but guests are willing to pay the price because they know it's high quality, you know, fresh ingredients made from scratch daily, and it's something that they've loved for years, and now we're bringing, we're taking it to them as opposed to asking them to come to us. Right, right. And because it's high price, once you know, if you're a high price concept and you stop, you know, giving people what they're expecting, that's that's kind of a recipe for disaster. It's over. like that, yeah. Right. But but I'd imagine that Mac Grill would do very well, especially delivery and catering in particular. Given, I mean, just the simple the the menu is is just sort of, sort of built for it. A absolutely. I mean, the food travels really well. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think when you can couple the fact that, you know, our core ingredients come from Italy, the same families that have been supplying us with a pasta, a sauce from Italy for the last 20 years, when you can take that level of, you know, um, quality, and it's a product that is a product that's liked by consumers, and you can deliver it to them at a price point that's, that's practical it's not you know it's not low it's not crazy high um you're delivering value you're going to win all day long mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's been our focus yeah so now does does sullivan's have sort of a, a you know different opportunity from a, 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 a you know finding new revenue streams i'd imagine it's not a big catering concept or is it maybe i'm wrong right you know look again this goes back to what i said at the, at the start right you got to be creative and mm -hmm. you got to be you got to think outside the box and um, with Sullivan's, obviously, I'm not going to cater, you know, a tomahawk steak. 
Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't travel that well. Um, but we have developed a specific catering menu. Mm-hmm. Because I do think, you know, you think law firms, you think professional uh, service businesses, us being able to offer a catering option to them is incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, we developed a, a catering menu specifically for Sullivan's that differs slightly from our traditional menu. Um, and we've seen, you know, significant growth because we have special events is, you know, is, is a huge revenue stream for Sullivan's. Being able to leverage that platform to continue to build on the catering platform, we've seen a lot of success with that in 2019. I think that grows in 2020. Mm-hmm. We've established a, a base. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think that that's definitely going to be a growth growth vehicle for you guys? Yeah. Because, but again, it's you know you have to be smart about what that menu looks like, what travels well. You know, there's so many different components to make sure you don't ruin the experience when they actually get the product. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about future acquisition possibilities. I mean, is that something that you're going to continue to look at? Is that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, especially given the fact that Mac and Sullivan's are in the place that they're in, and mm-hmm. you know, now it's more, it's it's kind of turnkey, and there's not much to do from a implementation of initiatives. Um, absolutely, uh, where you know we're focused on an acquisition right now. Um, we're in the mix. And you know we should we should know by the end of this week, hopefully or next week, where we sit with that acquisition. And um, you know if everything works out, you know I think we'll be we'll have that acquisition wrapped up, hopefully in the next couple of quarters. Mm-hmm. Now, um, is there you know are there a lot of opportunities sort of you know on 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 the kind of of the type of acquisitions you've been looking for? I mean, is there a lot of opportunities out there right now? Yeah, we're seeing a lot. I mean, we're seeing there's, there's, I mean, the whole M&A activity over the last couple of years has been pretty robust. Um, we're seeing a lot, but there's not a, you know, we're, we're very disciplined in what we go after mm-hmm. because I've done this long enough to know um, one bad acquisition can, you know, sink the ship, and we've all seen that. We don't want to, we don't want to be that. So we have pretty, you know, pretty crisp and clear criteria when we're looking at an acquisition. So while we see a lot, there hasn't been a lot that we're interested in that we want to spend our time and capital going after. But, you know, there have been a handful and, you know, one of which we're focused on right now. Mm-hmm. What kind of, I mean, what, what are the sort of the characteristics that you look at? So, you know, there, there are a handful. One is we want to make sure it's got brand equity and that brand equity hasn't been tarnished too significantly over the last you know few years, um, it's something that's got staying power that somehow differentiates itself. So what I mean by that is when we looked at look at Sullivan's for instance, it's got a unique positioning within the steak segment mm-hmm. because the steak segment to me is a CSA miss. They're, you know there 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 are a lot of them and they all do a great job. But yeah. how do you differentiate yourself and having that we're a neighborhood steakhouse. Um, message I think really helps differentiate you. So we look for brands that have you know competitive advantage or competitive differentiation, brands that have you know brand equity, brands that we believe we can effectively bolt on to our platform. So they have the right um, you know the, they streamline enough to be able to bolt on to our platform. For instance, I think if there's a massive culture difference between two brands, mm-hmm. it's very difficult, and we've seen that. It's a very recent past that there are struggles when you don't have that that mesh. 
So for us, we definitely look at that. We don't want to inherit something that's got significant capex, so that's one of the criteria that, you know, deferred capex, I should say. That's one of the criteria we look at. And then, look, you know, we look at the middle of the P&L, and we know what we've been able to do. I've been able to do, you know, with Mackinac through my career and what we've been able to do here at, Ma at Mackerel. Um, we know what, we, what the opportunity is from a margin perspective. So when we look at, you know, a target's P&L and we see low-hanging fruit, that definitely gets us, um, you know, wakes us up and kind of makes us take a deeper look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so is it uh, uh, pretty pleasing to you to, for, to stay in the same uh, position for, for a while? I was uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of used to you going in, fixing things, and then uh, turning to another, another change, but now it seems like you could kind of do the same thing and not leave the job. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds, mm -hmm. right? Because we, you, you have the continuity for sure. You're developing, you know, some great, um, a great foundation. But at the same time, as long as we can continue doing acquisitions and bolting on, then to me, it's kind of one of the, it's yeah. not jumping, but jumping, right? <laughs> so, because right. you're taking on a new challenge. And for me, like, I know what my skill set is. My skill set is being able to go in identify a problem, fix a problem, get it, get it stabilized, situated, and then move on. Um, we continue to have those opportunities as we continue to do acquisitions. Right, super. Uh, this was fantastic. I really appreciate uh, you joining me this week on the podcast. Yep, appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that will be it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which, as always, was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You can also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer and the executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine. Thank you for listening.